If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 13 to 34. If you want to look along on, a, on some notes, there's some notes there in your bulletin. If not, you can just look up here, which, which is perfectly fine. I don't think I have to convince you that life is filled with a lot of things. Look around. Cars, homes, clothes, technology gadgets like, you know, unbelievable, food, toys. We all have toys, don't we? You know, you may be a man who's 45, but you get your own toys. Just go out into your garage and find them. And it's part of life. Things are part of life, folks. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is they can too easily become the most important part of life. And, and living in this culture, it doesn't help. I, I was watching a commercial ways back, and uh, it's kind of strange. It was a car commercial. And basically, you know, I was trying to sit back and say, like, what were they teaching me about this car? Well, nothing about how it ran, but just that if you get this car, your life will be changed forever. I mean, you can put up the windows and shut out your wife and kids when they're a pain in the neck. You can just drive. There is comfort. There is ease. There is meaning. There is purpose. If you will just go into debt and buy this car. No, I mean, really. I mean, our, our economy runs on things. And if you don't need them, advertisement will tell you that you do. How do you get away from not focusing on the things? I mean, it's part of life. We're not focusing there. It is a problem that is endemic to humanity. It's always been the case. And so in this particular text that we're looking at, Jesus wants to look at the fact that for too many of us, we forget that there's more to life than things. Look at what he says here in verse 13. Jesus Jesus is preaching about some of the most important things on this earth. Matter of fact, the most important thing, spiritual things here. He's, he's right smack in the middle of a sermon. And I can kind of like relate to him. I see this all the way through the Gospels. And so I, I feel as a preacher about this or as a teacher. When I, when I used to do um, high schoolers, I, I, I'll never forget. You know, I, will ha I have this kind of image that I think like I'm teaching along and like really connecting with these kids. And the kid raises his hand. Yeah, yeah, right there. And I'm thinking like, you know, we're working through First John. He's going to ask me about, you know, doubting your salvation or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah, what, what would you like to say? When are we going to have lunch? <laughs> you know, and, and you think to yourself like, I don't really think that was part of the outline. You know, and, and, and so as a communicator, you have to know like, how do I answer that one? Jesus was brilliant in the way he handles interruptions. Notice what happens in verse 13. Jesus is preaching about the most important things on earth. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Jesus is talking about heaven and God. And Lord, could you settle this dispute? My dad has died and we're having an issue of how to kind of break things up. Haven't you found that when a loved one passes away, 
it tends to kind of bring out the worst in people. Potential. I mean, that's what you find in this passage. So he, he, he's arguing, you know, my brother's in control, and I don't think I'm getting enough. And, I, and, 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 and Jesus must be thinking, this is what I'd be thinking. I'd be thinking to myself, did you hear a thing I just said? I mean, I mean, like, what are you doing? And it's not that Jesus doesn't care about these kinds of issues. The church, you know, and, and 1 Corinthians will deal with issues like this. That, that's not the point. It, it's that the guy is just clueless to what is most important. And in this passage, he's trying to distract Jesus. And so Jesus says this. He looks at the man. It's pretty strong. Verse 14. He says to, the, he says to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you too. And that's it. I mean, he, he was hoping, the, the guy was hoping Jesus would, and Jesus says, you know what? I am not going to get sidetracked and become some arbiter over this particular issue. I'm on my way to the cross, man. I mean, there are big issues. And you want to sidetrack me, I won't do it. But being that you brought up the topic, I think I'm going to kind of move the sermon in a little bit di different direction right now and talk about things. And that's exactly what Jesus does. So he, he handles that guy rather quickly, the interruption. But then he looks at the crowd. He says, well, let's, let's talk about what you just saw. Notice what he says. Verse 15. So he says to them, he says to the crowd, verse 15, beware... And be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. I don't know about you, but would you not have been a little bit embarrassed if you were that guy that interrupted? I mean, you were hoping Jesus was going to side with you. And he goes into, he launches into a discussion on greed in which you are an example. I mean, you, you see what's happening here. You know, it's, it's, like, it's not a real good thing for this. I don't know about him, but I would kind of get sheepish and just kind of backpedal, you know, out of that place as quick as I could. But, but Jesus sees this as an opportunity to talk about greed. And what's fascinating to me is this. Jesus is going to give us a story here in just a second. And he's going to say, okay, let's suppose... That this person who is greedy, and the greedy person is what? The greedy person is somebody who always wants more. There's always something else I don't need. I need that, I need that, I need that. And their focus is there. And Jesus is speaking to the crowds at large, so he's looking both at followers of Jesus and just people that don't know Jesus. He's, he's talking to everybody, right? And he's just saying this desire to have more and more. Wasn't it Rockefeller? Somebody came up to him one time and said... Um, so what do you really need? And he said, just a little bit more. I mean, that's greed at work, isn't it, at the end of the day? Jesus says this. Let's suppose you win the lottery. And you get everything you want. Life is more than that. And Jesus says, let me show you why through a story. This is a great story, and I have to tell you, when I read this story, the first couple verses, this sounds to me like the American dream. Now, listen to it. I mean, you could put this guy on Forbes magazine. That's what it says. And he said, he told them a parable saying, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. Folks, that's a good thing. 
So this is, there's this guy, he's a farmer, and man, he's getting more crops than he knows what to do with. And you got to give him high marks for planting. Look at verse 17. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Look, the guy's evaluating. More produce. No, wow, like, uh, what, what am I going to do? To me, I read this and I say, Jesus, I think that's a pretty good question. And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Folks, does that sound so bad? More produce. I'll tear down what I have, build bigger ones, and I'll fill them up. I mean, you know what? I, I, this is good. This is the American dream. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. I can retire. I can relax. I am secure. All is well. I don't know about you, but um, I have my money in PNC Bank. They could use that guy as a cover story. Couldn't they? Wouldn't you like your life to be this? More produce, bigger barns, plenty of security, plenty of stuff, plenty of enjoyment, and then you just kind of slide out into eternity. Sounds like the American dream to me. And then look at verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Is it possible to become an American success story and lose it all at the end of the day? Yeah, it's exactly what happens in this text. This guy builds up more and more and more and more. And, you know, I would imagine when people came to his funeral, I mean, you probably heard incredible eulogies. I mean, people probably came and said, man, Joe, if your name's Joe, I'm not thinking of you, but, you know, jo Joseph or, or, or Jeremiah, Jedediah, whatever. Uh, he... he he was a great guy, man. We, we worked hand in hand with him. I mean, the eulogies would be unbelievable. And I don't know what was on his gravestone, but probably something very nice. But when God walked through the grave site that night, what he etched on his gravestone was fool. Because in his pursuits of life, he forgot God. Can that happen? Can people be blessed materially and that blessing is ultimately a curse? Because they are rich in this life, but they are not rich toward God. And that's what happens. There are too many people that build a career and they, pick, they go up the ladder of success only to find out at the end of their life that it's leaning against the wrong wall. There's nothing there. And this guy comes up just to interrupt Jesus, and Jesus says, okay, let's talk about this. 
Things are part of life. I know that. But it is possible for you to become obsessed with things. And in becoming obsessed with things, you lose God. And God says, that makes you a fool. That's what he says to the crowds. He also has a word for his disciples. Men and women listening to him who are followers of his. Who struggle, and, and, and frankly, they care about God. They, they, they're following Jesus, for goodness sake. And their problem is not so much greed, wanting more and more and more and more. Their problem is worry. And the way, in this text, I think we could define worry. Worry is much broader than this. But in this text, worry is a fear over a lack of things. Don't we struggle with that? How am I going to pay the mortgage this month? My car is broken down. I need another car, but I can't afford the car. You know, we, the, the myriad of concerns. Things always get in our way. And yet, they're part of life. And in the first movement, Jesus says, don't be greedy where you live for things. No, no, be rich toward God. And you can almost see people in the crowd saying, okay, Jesus, okay, 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 I won't be greedy. But I need some things. I got to live. And I'm worried. And Jesus says, I have a word for you too. So in verses uh, 22 through 34, Jesus switches gears. And he talks to his disciples. Notice what he says. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, Do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. For life is more than food, and the body than clothing. Um. Jesus is almost preemptive here because he knows the kind of concerns they have. In all honesty, folks, we have it a lot better than they did in the first century. If, if this was a normal congregation in the first century of believers, um, number one, the vast majority would be poor. You'd either be a day laborer or you'd probably be a slave. So something, something very, very simple like that and if you're a day laborer, you know what your concern was? Every day you got up, will I have enough food to eat? I guess I can wear what I wore yesterday again because that's what you do. You just keep wearing the same thing and I hope it doesn't wear out. And I hope I have a place to live. That was about it. I mean, that, that, that's, that's, I mean, we add a couple more things to that, don't we? We, 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 our list goes on and on and on and on. I mean, they were, Jesus was talking to them about worrying about the most basic things in life that you need to survive. And, and look, I understand we need cars and things like that to get around. I understand all that. But, but I'm just saying, Jesus goes to the core in this particular passage. And this is what I love. Jesus in this passage is going to tell you why you shouldn't be worried. Now, I, I want to... I want to be fair here. Everybody in here gets concerned over life, don't you? And things. And honestly, I have to tell you, I don't know exactly where a legitimate concern ends and an inappropriate worry begins. 
I do know when I've gone into it too far, though. Because when I'm worried like that, that's all I think about, right? I just, everything else gets kind of shut out. And, you know, oh, <laughs> my, my mind is back there again. That's probably a telltale sign that I've drifted from an appropriate concern to an inappropriate worry. And Jesus says in this passage, look, 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 I know what you need. Light, things are part of life. You can't get away from that. But I don't want you to be consumed by worry over those things. And let me tell you why. First of all, again, is what he says there in verse 23. Life is more than food and the body and clothing. And I think what he's saying here is this. If you become so consumed with the things you don't have, you will miss out on the wonderful things that you do have. We sang some incredible songs today. Matter of fact, that one song I never heard before. Um, I, the second song we sang, that was really cool. I don't even know what it's called now, but it was a really great, great song. But just where God's love is just like floods in. You know, you, what do you want to mean? What, what is it? Diamond. The diamond song. Yeah, that's it, whatever it's called. But that was great. I never heard it before. I loved it. And, and what happens is, don't you find when you worry, you just become so focused there, all of these incredible things you have in Christ. It's almost like you don't see them anymore. They're behind you. And, and he says, look, life is, yes, I know you need these things, but life is more than that. Look at what you have in Christ. You have so much. Yeah, is life hard? Yes. Do people disappoint us? Yes. Do we lose jobs? Yes. Do we have housing problems? Yes. Car problems? Yes, yes, yes. I know, I know, I know. But life is more than that, folks. Life is God. But he says, let's talk, though, about those things you worry about. And what I want you to do, he says in verse 24, is this. Well, let me just mention this one in 25, and then I'll, then I'll pop back. I love this. Jesus is such a realist. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? If then you cannot even do that very little thing, why are you anxious about other matters? Jesus, Jesus is such a, so good. Jesus says, and, and there's some debate on how to translate this, but it either means, look, it either means this. Doug, stand there for a second. I'm, I'm, I'm about 5'11", probably shrinking because as you get older, I know you shrink. But my heyday was 5'11 and a half, whatever. Okay, so there I am. Do you think by worrying, I can get to six feet? And so the text may be saying, go ahead and try, Doug. What happens? Doesn't work. Look, Doug, if you can't even do something tiny like that, worrying is not going to change this other stuff. You're consuming all your time and energy. It's not going to do anything. Or it means if I really, really worry, maybe I can live one more hour or another day or a week possibly. <laughs> I can't even do that one, folks. And Jesus says, okay, you worry. God says, look, 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 I love you. And it's not like Jesus is looking out there and saying, do not worry. I don't think that's the tone at all. It's an invitation. Don't worry. Come on. Don't worry. Life is more than that. And when you do worry, you know what it does? It consumes all your time and your energy. And it doesn't do any good. Yeah, I know, God, but 
I still have to pay that bill on Tuesday. Okay? Okay? Let me tell you something else. I want you to know, God says, how much I value you. How important you are to me as a person. And I don't know how else to do that, but to give you an illustration, two illustrations, actually. First one in verse 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, and they have no storeroom and no barn, like that guy that built bigger barns, and yet God feeds them how much more valuable you are than birds. Now, folks, I don't know about you. Raven sounds kind of nice. You know what it really is? It's a crow. Does anybody in here like crows? I hate crows. They, 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 not in our present house, but our previous house, they created all kinds of issues that I did not like. Um, dive bombing things, all kinds of stuff, which we won't get into. <laughs> they were just kind of attracted to my community for some reason. I don't know why. But if God would have asked me, hey, Doug, I've I got to come up with this illustration of an animal that I care for. I mean, I, I would have probably said a deer, a, a pussy cat, or something. I don't know, something, you know? So, something different. But Jesus, God says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the crows. And when you look in the Old Testament, crows are unclean animals. They're scavengers. And yet it is fascinating to me, twice in the Old Testament, God will talk about crows and caring for crows, both in the Psalms and the book of Job, twice. And I think he picks an animal that we say, ick. <laughs> that has food, not the best kind of food, but has food provided on a consistent basis, right, when things die. And God says, if in my economy and in my world, I work in such a way that I provide for a crow, how much more valuable are you than a crow? At last I checked, we're all a lot more valuable than a crow. Do you see? So he, he chooses this animal, this bird, this scavenger bird nonetheless. And he says, look, you are worth so much more than it. I watch over it. How much more will I watch over you? Let me give you another example, he says. Look at verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O men of little faith? Driven out down the highway, we're sometimes in between the highway, you see some of the most beautiful wildflowers imaginable. Have you seen that? You can go and pick them, you never want with them. Well, in the ancient world, they often just kind of would collect this stuff up and throw it in the oven and it would kind of get the, the oven started for them. You know, just, you need some stuff to burn. It was worthless, beautifully clothed by who? God. By God. Here today, gone tomorrow. How much more valuable are you than that lily? If God clothes the lily, He'll clothe you. God just says, look around at creation. And everywhere you see, you see the hand of a God who provides 
with crows and lilies. And we could add all kinds of things again and again and again. He's the creator God who just. And yet you are the apex of creation. Only humans were created in the image of God. No one's more. And, and he sends his son to die for us, for goodness sakes. Christ never died for a crow. Die for you. And he looks out at people, believers, who are seeking to walk with Christ, and they become easily distracted with worrying over things. He says, it doesn't help you. You miss out on important things. And have you forgotten that I love you? Look around. These, there's evidence everywhere of my watch, care, and love for you. Okay? Okay, I'm getting it, God. Don't worry. <laughs> so what am I supposed to do then? Jesus says, I'll tell you. Look <laughs> what he says here in verse 20. 30. Now 29, I had it right the first time. And, okay, on the one hand, don't worry. And do not seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink. And do not keep worrying. And Jesus doesn't mean when he says seek there. It doesn't mean, like, quit your job. You know, be homeless. It's not the point. What he's saying here is, don't put all your time and your energy into things so that you forget what is most important. That, that's what he's saying. Okay? So, so don't, don't do that. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your father knows what you have need of. You know what happens? Doug Finkbeiner too often lives like he has no father. Do you ever do that? Oh, I become so consumed with these things and I seek these things and I pursue these things and I'm just like the world around me who doesn't know God. That's the way I live. And, and Jesus says, no, God is for you. So don't put all your bag, all your, all your, all your stuff into those bags. Don't, don't focus there. Rather do this. Verse 31. But seek for his kingdom. And these things shall be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Jesus says you got to change your eyes. Your, your glasses. You're just not seeing things right. You got to put on that lens that says, you know what? Rather than giving yourself to those things as if that's all that matters, instead I want you to put on another lens. And this lens is, yeah, I have to be a good steward. I have to work. God calls me to do that stuff. That's all part of life. Okay, fair enough. But I have a father who is for me. The God of the universe that will provide for me as he sees fit. And not only that, for all eternity, I will bask in his glory in his kingdom. Little flock, I have this picture of these sheep that are nervous because there's only a couple of them. And they're out in the middle of the desert, I mean, the, the wilderness somewhere, and they don't know where they're going to get whatever they need. And he says, little flock, you feel like it's just a couple of you, and, and, and you're scared by everything around you. Your father will give you everything you need. And what's more, he'll give you the kingdom. 
Isn't that great, folks? But isn't it possible for us to lose all that? Well, Lord, like seeking the kingdom, what does that entail? Jesus says, I'll tell you what it entails, and you're not going to like it because it sounds almost counterintuitive, but this is what it is, verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves purses which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor, math, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, is Jesus saying you have to be homeless? Run around naked. That's not the point. What he's saying here is this. In the book of Acts, they practiced this very thing, didn't they? They were so, in, in Acts 2 and Acts 4, they were so enamored with God and his kingdom and what he was doing that they embraced all people. They loved all people. And those that trusted in Christ, they become part of the brotherhood and sisterhood. And, 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 they were just, and, and then whenever somebody had a need, people just said, how can I help you? And they just gave, and you have a need. I'll help you. You're going to Appalachian. I'll help you. You're doing this. I'll help you. I mean, just how they did it, right? And Jesus says, when you rest under a God who is for you, and the kingdom of God and his glory is what consumes you, it frees you up. It frees you to give. Whether you give by coming and being involved in vacation Bible school or going to Appalachian with the group that's going to be going in a week or China or wherever you go, it frees you to say it's kingdom and it's just giving myself to people and giving things knowing that God will provide. My goodness, folks, there is something freeing about living like that. You say, David, Doug, you have to be a good steward. of." I understand all that. And there's other texts that talk about that. But he's dealing here with an attitude. An attitude which doesn't hoard and worry and become consumed, but rather is, is, is obsessed with something much bigger, which is God and his glory and his kingdom and people. And I just give. And God's got my back. So whether... Your problem is greed, wanting more and more and more and more, or worry, worrying about not having enough, enough, enough. The answer is the same. There's more to life than things. There's me, God says, and my glory. I think I told you this story in the past, can't remember. I know I used it at a camp recently, so sorry if I told you this one before. But it, it just so fits with what's going on here. Um, and I, it's just, it's one of those stories that just kind of has always gripped me. Where uh, John Wesley, toward the end of his life, was visiting one of his friends, uh, a wealthy, very, very, very um, productive businessman in England. They'd known each other since childhood, but he wasn't a believer. And he invited Wesley in, and he showed him around. He said, what do you think of this? And he showed him his house and his gardens and his lands and his livestock. It just went on and on and on and on and on. And he, said, and he looked at Wesley and he said, Wesley, if you weren't tied up in this Christian stuff, you could have had all this. And Wesley said, 
but there's more. He understood this text. There is more to life than fame. If you don't know Christ, can I try to encourage you to stop what you're doing because it's not going to work and come to Jesus. And if you do know him, I know we all have concerns, but you don't have to live with kind of a consumed worry because God's got your back. He will free you to give for the furtherance of his kingdom. Father.